0: You are listening to True Insights, an educational podcast series for Australian health professionals brought to you by True Relationships and Reproductive Health. Covering topics on reproductive health, sexual health and preventative health, True Insights aims to support clinicians in their ongoing care of their community. Before we start, we would like to acknowledge the First Nations people of Australia and pay our respects to Elders, both past, present and future. Today's episode explores syphilis, a sexually transmissible infection. Listeners will gain an understanding of how syphilis is transmitted from person to person and why untreated mother-to-child transmissions are of highest concern and risk to the child. Your hosts are Monica Vitali, nurse practitioner and nurse educator at True Relationships and Reproductive Health, and Dr. Fabiola Martin a sexual health, HIV and HTLV specialist working at Stonewall Medical Centre and Lillian Cooper Centre, clinical lead educator at True Relationships and Reproductive Health and senior research fellow at the School of Public Health, University of Queensland. Babiola is also co-founder of HTLVAware.com and is a British medical journal STI podcast editor.
1: My name is Monica Vitali, and I'm a nurse practitioner and nurse educator specializing in sexual and reproductive health. I work as a nurse practitioner in Brisbane South and for True Relationships and Reproductive Health. Joining me in this discussion today is Dr. Fabiola Martin, a sexual health physician and expert.
2: Hi, Monica, and hi, everybody. Thank you so much for the opportunity to discuss syphilis today. Yes, thanks, Fabiola. During today's podcast, we will
1: be exploring the sexually transmissible infection, syphilis. We will explore how syphilis is transmitted from person to person and why we are so concerned about syphilis, particularly during pregnancy. Queensland, along with several other states and territories in Australia, has unfortunately seen increases in infectious syphilis notifications more rapidly since 2016. In fact, in the early 2000s, syphilis was almost thought to be eliminated with only around 177 reported cases of infectious syphilis in Queensland in 2006. However, since then we have seen a declared outbreak in 2011 in Queensland, with continuing increases in notifications. There were 1,127 notifications of infectious syphilis and a further 244 notifications in women of reproductive age in 2019 in Queensland alone. So I guess, Fabiola, this brings us to our topic. And can you tell us a little bit more about syphilis and what it is?
2: Thank you, Monica, for that summary, which is, um, you know, scary, I would say. Um, But, you know, before we go into the details of what syphilis is, I would like to point out that our conversation really cannot replace studying a textbook on syphilis or discussing a specific case with a sexual health or infectious diseases specialist. This is because syphilis is a very complex infection and can be easily missed or misdiagnosed. There is a good reason why we refer to it as the big imitator. It can present itself masked as many different similar conditions. Okay, following this disclaimer, I can tell you that syphilis is caused by a bacterium called Tryponema pallidum, subspecies pallidum. That has been transmitted between humans through direct contact for thousands of years. Treponema belong to the spirotocea family, and there are three other species that cause human treponemal disease. We refer to them as yawls, pinta, and the third one is called bejel, or also referred to as endemic syphilis. There are many hypotheses about how syphilis evolved, and I'm personally fascinated by this. In short, the endemic syphilis emerged from yours as a consequence of climate changes around 7,000 BC. Around 3,000 BC, the sexually transmitted syphilis emerged from endemic syphilis in southwestern Asia due to lower temperatures of the post-glacial era and spread to Europe and the rest of the world. Initially, it manifested as a mild disease, eventually aggravated and grew in virulence over the next centuries. So it is a very old sexually transmitted disease of humans.
1: I agree, um, Babila. I find the history fascinating um, with syphilis. And often when you talk to people about it, they're surprised that it's something that's still around because it's something that we relate to uh, a historical illness. Um, so I guess that brings me to asking you, how does transmission occur?
2: Yeah, it's a very good question. Well, and I mentioned earlier, treponema transmission requires direct contact. In case of syphilis, contact with syphilitic ulcers or body fluid of people who carry the infection, often unknowingly, such as saliva and genital fluid, or from mother to child during pregnancy through the placenta or uh, through the vaginal fluid or blood during delivery. So what happens next in adults? Well... It varies from individual to individual, and it has to do with the virulence of the pathogen or the immune system of the host. Approximately one third of the people who come into contact with treponema will develop syphilis. Its incubation time varies between people, and I usually go by up to 90 days, meaning until 90 days are over from the last contact, I won't be you know, assured that the person doesn't have syphilis, even if there are no symptoms. Clinically, we categorize the infection into three stages. Primary syphilis, where the infection is localized. Patients may notice painless ulcers in the mouth and genitalia or lumps on the genitalia. Untreated, this may lead to secondary syphilis. This is when the infection is spread throughout the body, causing a generalized erythematous rash and typically also on the palms of the hands and soles of the feet. So all my patients have to take their socks off. The patient may feel ill, have headaches or fever, and then untreated Secondary syphilis may lead to latent disease where there are no signs or symptoms at all despite the presence of infection. And in some patients, this chronic infection with syphilis may lead to tertiary syphilis where many different organs such as the brain and heart are affected. This can lead to early dementia and cardiovascular disease, so quite serious condition.
1: So Fabiola, can I just um, check with you? You mentioned incubation time being 90 days or around 90 days. Does that mean that someone won't be infected until they've been in contact with someone who's had it for 90 days or can infection occur before that point? At any point in time. Thank you. Great. From what you've just explained there, this sounds really quite complex. How does someone go about diagnosing syphilis?
2: While the infection or the disease presentation can be complex and varies, testing for syphilis can be super simple. So the most important thing is think of it, offer it, most patients will accept it readily. It is important that clinicians familiarize themselves with the many different clinical and especially dermatological presentations of syphilis. There are many good textbooks, picture atlases and online resources to use so that you know when you see something that looks maybe like syphilis, you offer the test. Then we need to be able to take a good sexual history. Again, don't shy away, don't be scared, ask the questions. Patients love to talk about their sexual history if you allow them an open, non judgmental consultation. Finally, um, offer a swap from a suspicious um, ulcer. Um, and um, blood tests so syphilitic ulcers we test for um, syphilis PCR and blood tests we just write syphilis blood tests really very simple and almost all patients as I said will agree to testing to my knowledge none of my patients so far have refused a test to me Um, The trick is to think about syphilis and to offer it. And if the test is negative, don't forget to follow up with another test. Again, as I said, in my my clinics, I offer it up to 90 days after the last sexual contact. And um, incubation, you know, varies. If you still worry, you can offer a test later than 90 days. No one prevents you from, you know, offering the test.
1: So Fabiola, I think what you're saying there is to Keep syphilis in your list of differential diagnoses, which is a great point. Are there any
2: specific groups of people that we do need to be offering testing to more readily, though? Yeah, that's a fantastic question, and I would like to give you a simple answer to it, but I can't. So I'd like to say yes and no. Yes, because we know that people who have a lot of sex are more likely to catch syphilis. No, because syphilis outbreak has been declared in Australia, has been observed in Australia, and now we are facing the spread of syphilis in all groups of people who have sex, so also heterosexual men and women. Treponema are so infectious that it can be transmitted even through kissing, so men who have sex with men and transgender women who have many partners and sex workers are advised to have themselves regularly checked but we also like to offer regular testing to indigenous peoples because this group of people has often faced misdiagnosis or undiagnosed pregnant women where syphilis was then transmitted to their babies. Um, We also routinely offer syphilis testing as part of antenatal care to pregnant women because of the devastating effects syphilis can have on babies. We call that congenital syphilis, and I believe that you are planning to have another podcast focusing on congenital syphilis.
1: Yes, I am Fabiola, and I'm really excited to be able to have a discussion with Dr. Claire Norse about congenital syphilis. But just coming back to what you mentioned in terms of antenatal screening, I want to use this as an opportunity to bring an awareness uh, for our listeners out there around the SIP guidelines or the syphilis in pregnancy. Guidelines that have been published by Queensland Health—a great, great resource for people to check in for guidance on when to perform screening throughout pregnancy—and I'll have um, I'll mention links to that at the end of the podcast. So again, Fabiola, you were talking about um, groups and specific groups. Are you actually suggesting that we don't focus too much on risk groups when it comes to syphilis, but rather? Offer testing to everyone in the general population?
2: Thank you, uh, Monica, for that question. Well, during an outbreak of an infection that is spreading in the community, as we have observed in case of syphilis, we need to become hypervigilant. I prefer that we rather test too many people than miss one case of syphilis, let's say in a heterosexual or bisexual man who inadvertently passes it on to a woman who is pregnant and who may pass it on to her baby. As you know, congenital syphilis can be a death sentence and has to be prevented at all costs. Currently, we propose to offer syphilis screening during the first and third trimester to pregnant women. The Queensland Health Maternal and Neonatal SIP guideline has further information on this. Thank you, Fabiola. Um, is it easy to treat syphilis? Actually, yes, relatively easy. Once you have made the diagnosis and assessed the patient for allergies to penicillin, you can consult the Australian STI guideline to treat adults or the aforementioned, you know, SIP guideline to treat a pregnant woman. I also recommend to discuss your patient with a sexual health or infectious diseases specialist. It's important to Note that not every antibiotic works against Treponema. You need to use long-acting antibiotics. Really good point there, Fabiola.
1: What advice do you give to patients specific to syphilis once a diagnosis has been made?
2: Well, I do ask them, you know, to hold off from having, you know, sex, kissing until they have the diagnosis. Until I know the patient does or doesn't have syphilis. If the results are positive, they need to refrain from sex until 7 to 14 days after the treatment has been completed. And you also need to support the patient to inform all sexual partners to get tested and treated. This is called contact tracing.
1: And again, for listeners out there who may be a little bit um, nervous or daunted by the idea of contact tracing, I'm going to mention the Queensland Syphilis Surveillance Service, which is a really fantastic service that can assist you with this process if you do have any questions. And again, if you log into our um, course page, we'll have all that information on how to contact the Queensland Syphilis Surveillance Service. So I wonder, Fabiola, why is it that syphilis diagnosis can be missed and how, how does that happen?
2: Well, I mentioned before, it's tricky to think of syphilis because it's such a great imitator. You can catch syphilis and never display a symptom. So you pass it on without knowing. Or your symptoms are so mild that you don't notice. Or you go to see a clinician with some, you know, odd rash or ulcer or headache, and your clinician doesn't think of taking a sexual history or offering you a test. Syphilis is easily missed, which can be devastating in case of pregnant women and congenital syphilis. So thinking of it and offering the test maybe. You, more often than need be, is a safe way forward. I guess with all of this in mind, Fabiola,
1: how can syphilis be prevented? And as a healthcare provider, how can we promote this?
2: I talk about syphilis to almost all my patients and the way I protect them or try to protect them from catching it is by saying, look, the less encounters you have with different people, the least likely that you catch any STIs, including syphilis. Talk about STIs and especially syphilis with your partners. Ask if they have had a recent STI screen. Talk about your own STI screen. Avoid being intoxicated when having sex so your judgment is not clouded. And use a condom from beginning till the end of sexual encounter and also when you're giving um, oral sex. So... Um, finally, uh, the best way and a good and efficient way of uh, preventing you from transmitting syphilis is getting tested and if positive, getting treated.: Thank you, Fabiola.
1: Uh, some great advice there and recommendations for, for all our listeners. I do want to say a big thank you, Fabiola for talking to me and with everybody out there about syphilis. I've found this not only interesting um, and also very useful for my own
2: practice and hope that our listeners also feel the same way. Yeah, I'm really glad that you are running this podcast and it's a pleasure to be here. If diagnosing and
1: treating syphilis
2: is something you've not had much experience with or would like to
1: discuss this further with an expert in the field, then the Queensland Syphilis Surveillance Service is a statewide service that you can contact for support. For access to any resources or websites mentioned today, please head to the Ask course page,
0: true.org. .au/ask This podcast has been brought to you by True Relationships and Reproductive Health in collaboration with the Communicable Diseases Branch, Queensland Health. This episode is part of a greater educational package called Antenatal Sexual Health Kit or Ask, funded by Queensland Health. Ask aims to provide up-to-date practical information, resources and tools to support antenatal clinicians complete sexual health assessments and contact tracing, to optimise pregnancy outcomes, reduce fetal mortality and morbidity. To gain access to the complete educational package, register online today at www.true.org.au ASK. Thank you so much for listening. You can subscribe to True Insights wherever you get your podcasts. You can write to us at info at and you can connect with us on our social media at True Clinics or at True Educate on Facebook or at True Org AU on Twitter and Instagram. True Relationships and Reproductive Health is a profit for purpose organisation specialising in community gynaecology, reproductive and sexual health clinical education and relationships and sexuality education we would like to thank our clinicians and our expert panel of contributors that helped to make this show possible.